This is the Out of Water Podcast. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm the man behind the controls, Mark Lautenschlager. In studio with me today, your hosts, Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and Co-Director of Student Ministries, Drew Brown. This time on the Out of Water Podcast, we're going to be talking about the topic of rest. And I think that when we bring up the topic of rest, everybody thinks, did I get enough sleep last night? But it's a bigger question than that. There's more to rest than just, am I sleepy or you know, am I nodding off in class? Sometimes that's just because the teacher's boring. Let's start with this. Um, Drew, how does our world define rest? What are we really talking about with that? I think our world defines rest as vacation, as time uninterrupted where you're not bothered, um, where you can leave work behind, paid time off. That's rest. Idleness. I'd say idleness, like where I don't have, I'm not responsible to do anything. I can shut everything down, be in my own thing. I can do whatever I want, watch whatever TV shows I want, video games, whatever. It's my time, and they're not accountable to anyone else. Hmm. That's interesting. So the idea is, is when we think about rest, we're thinking about time in which our activities aren't being directed by some outside agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's how most people would define rest. Okay, so... Was there a time when there was a lot of rest in our lives and we lost that? How did that, when did that happen? I, th- I think humanity honestly has this aversion to rest. We all say that we want it, uh, but really we don't. They did a study at University of Virginia that was really, really fascinating. And what they did is they took a group of men and women and they put them into a room and they required them just to have six to 15 minutes of quiet time, which doesn't sound like torture, right? What they found is that people who came out from that quiet time hated it. Like they had a really visceral response, don't want to do that ever again. And even when they would leave like papers in the room, people would start, you know, playing with them and making paper airplanes or doing other things with the paper to just to keep themselves busy. And they were like, man, people really have a hard time with this. So what they did is they said, let's take this a step further. And they hooked them up to something that would give them an electric shock if they pressed a button. And so they left these people in a room for 15 minutes just to have quiet time with their own thoughts. And what they found is two-thirds of the men shocked themselves. They get that. They shocked themselves rather than just being quiet with their own thoughts. And so what that tells me, now the women, of course, were much better. Only a quarter of the women did that. Two-thirds of the men did. That's funny. But think we are allergic to this idea of stopping quiet time we say that we want rest but we really don't but again aren't you talking about something different there because you're talking about about quiet time drew was talking about paid time off vacation i'm not at work i'm doing something else you were talking about downtime idleness i'm playing video games or watching television but quiet time that's something different i mean you put me in a room and say sit still with your own thoughts and immediately i feel the pressure of okay now i have to think about something you know, potato, 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 <laughs> right, potato, right. squirrel, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, if you say think deep thoughts, my brain immediately explodes. So, you know, I think that, is it that we're maybe addicted to stimulation? Big time. Okay. Big, big time. And so that's where we get into this, the difference between the, the world's idea of rest and the Christian 
biblical idea of rest is radically different. Because we would say, you know, if, if you give me time off, I need something in front of me. Like my family did this experiment where we said, okay, for 90 minutes, no TV, no phones, no radio, no nothing going. We're just going to have a conversation. And I've got four little ones, the oldest of which is 11. How do you think that went? <laughs> you know, yeah, they're, okay. they're like, I get that. I need stimulation. I need to move. I need to move. And, and so the idea is you never actually stop to just reflect, to be with your own thoughts. And you're constantly moving, constantly. And so, like, that has, that has consequences. Like, we can't stop to really take in a thought. We can't stop to really be with our thoughts. We're allergic to that idea. Where the Bible comes along, the origin of the Sabbath is, it starts with God. This is so good that God says, hey, I went in on this. So he does six days of creation where he's busy and he's making things. But the week ends with him saying, I'm going to stop. I'm going to look back at all that I've done. I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to be in communion with my creation, man and woman. I, I want to be in relationship. I want to stop for a moment and to enjoy this, and we don't do that. So is that how the Bible defines rest, once every seven days? Well, the Sabbath is given to man to be once every seven days. That's okay. not necessarily the totality of rest, Okay. Mm-hmm. but the idea is the whole the law of the Sabbath comes to the Israelites. They've just come out of Egypt, where you gotta remember, they were slaves. They worked on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, and it started all over again, and they worked every single day. And when they come out, God comes to them with this radical idea that I want you to stop for a moment. I want you to stop, and I want you to just be with me. I don't want you to work. I don't want you to be distracted with all the other things that are going on in this world. I don't want you to have to need stimulus. I want you to be with me. Okay. And so this idea of a Sabbath, this idea of rest comes to us and says, you're leaving your slavery behind. You have more dignity than your work and your busyness. Stop. Mm -hmm. Your greatest value is to stop for a moment and to be with me. That's when you're at your best. And so the idea of resting, when, when the Christian comes about to a Sabbath, what do we want to do? It's to stop, like all the other jobs that I have during the week where I try to chase down identity and fulfillment and purpose and everything else, that's all stuff that I'm enslaved to, that I'm chasing after. The Sabbath is where we come before God and say, no, I have a deeper value, a deeper purpose, and it's to be with him, and I'm going to leave behind my taskmasters and enjoy my God. Hmm. So then part of rest is, for the Christian at least, part of rest is not just stepping aside from my normal routines, but it's also then spending time with God. Absolutely. Okay. And that's that's the only way that you can be really restored. You know, if you think about it, when we're slaving away in our daily lives and we're trying to achieve our purpose and our identity and our work and to find value, where can we find value greater than what the gospel has to give us? Like, think about how radical it would have been for those Israelites who've come out. Their only worth to the Egyptian people, the Egyptian pharaoh, is what they could produce. And God is looking at his people saying, you know what I want you to produce? I want you to be with me. What dignity is given to man? Like, it's not about what you can do for me. I just want to spend time with you. Hmm. Like, there's no greater dignity that you can find than to have the creator and sustainer and savior of the universe looking at you saying, it's not about what you can give me. I want you stop and dwell in the idea, the fact 
that that's why you have value because you're mine, not mm-hmm. what you run around slaving to accomplish all the time. Yeah. It's also really fascinating to me that God established the Sabbath for us, knowing that we are going to work hard six days a week. And then, because we know like God didn't lack, like he didn't need rest or he wasn't tired from creation. And yet he establishes this rhythm of life for us. And I think it's fascinating to me that if I'm completely honest in my own life, I I hear that story that you shared about the people in the room doing that trial with the quiet time. And I my initial reaction is to want to be like, why couldn't they just be quiet and enjoy it for 15 minutes? But when I'm really honest with myself, I think that I am that person. Yeah, we're totally that <laughs> I'm person. I'm so that person who just fills my time. And when I w- fill my time with anything and try to stay busy all the time. And so I am being completely honest, have an aversion that I think is very deeply rooted to Sabbath rest myself. And so it's refreshing, but it's also extremely challenging to read that God has called us to a day of rest in the Sabbath, but also just to this ethic of rest that has to, I believe, extend further than just one day too. Now you talked about the idea of a rhythm of Mm -hmm. rest, you know, getting to this sort of rhythm of things. And I think that that's something that, you know, our, our society, I think our schedules, the way we run our lives feels very chaotic. For sure. You know, we feel like things are always being driven by an external circumstance, an external force. I gotta get up and go to work. Why? Well, because today's a work day. And then I gotta take the kids to the park. We have all these activities we have to do. Everything is always about getting on to the next thing and getting the next thing accomplished. To me, when I hear you talk about a rhythm and when I, when I think about that, I think part of this rest is about us maybe taking control again a little bit of our own lives i mean is that you know the value of it isn't just i'm resting but the value of it is i'm asserting control i'm taking back some control external agencies aren't going to drive every minute of my world yeah absolutely and having that not just even a physical rest but emotional spiritual mental and having that establishing an ethic of rest that then carries with us and recharges us to do all of those other things that we have to do throughout the week and to be I think even in my own life, sometimes I'm so consumed by the list mm-hmm. that I'm I'm going through the motions, it's routine, and I'm exhausted. And I don't know how efficient or effective I'm actually being when I'm not taking care of myself and resting, and especially taking care of my soul. Why do you think we're so bad at rest? Why do you think we fail so much at it? I think I think it's a few things. I would say on a on a positive note, I do think that there's a passion and a, a love for people and our jobs. That's a good thing that drives us to want to do things and to be busy and to go get lunch with that friend or that family member mm-hmm. and make sure we get that that assignment or project done for work because we really do genuinely care. Right. And I think that's a good thing. But I think that in my own life and I think in a lot of other people's lives that can become an idol where those things, although good, that heart, although good, it it's consuming. And then I, without realizing it, know my own life can start to believe that my worth and my value is in, well, did I check up with that person enough? Did I get mm-hmm. enough done at work? Can I, can I rest tonight calmly when I lay my head down knowing that I got enough done? Yeah. And then it, that good intention gets a little corrupted. And so I think, I think a lot of it does come from a good desire. And then some of it is just, especially here in America, I just think this culture of busyness that is fueled uh, everywhere that we go. Yeah. Sam, why would you say you don't get rest? What's the, what's the thing that keeps you from rest? 
it's a compulsion to be busy to prove myself. You know, even even when I have quiet time, I've I'm totally still preoccupied with needing to check email and check text messages and and look through social media to see what the latest is. There's kind of this this fear of missing out mm-hmm. as sure, well. Yeah. Like that we can never unplug and just allow ourselves some quiet time with God. Like here's here's something that's a little bit TMI probably. But if I have to go to the restroom, I've got to bring a phone or a magazine or whatever because God forbid I have 10 minutes where I'm not tickling my brain with some kind of stimuli or, you know, Mm. something to look at, something to read, something to be engaged with. And we never have those quiet times. And I think back to the ancient world, you know, we've we've also been stripped of times where there's no choice but to just be with our thoughts. It used to be that, you know, darkness came. There was no TV. There was no radio. You just had to sit and look up at the stars. And so you had that quiet time or you had a long walk to the well to – to be with your thoughts or to be in conversation and in today's society, which I'm grateful for all the technology we have, but it's totally stripped us of any quiet time. And I mean, I'm 58, so I grew up in it there before there were smartphones and before there was the internet and that kind of thing. I think I would be surprised if, if I went back in time to see myself as a 10 year old or something like that, just how much idle time and downtime there was in my life at that point. Yeah. Think about when, when we were younger, you know, I still remember the days when most of the stores were closed on Sunday. You know, barely. I was still a kid. Right. You know, Publix was closed on Sunday. Now it's just Chick-fil-A. And usually we drive into the drive-thru and go, oh, it's Sunday. Yeah. You know, mad because about it. There's, there's, yeah, and we get mad about it. There's nothing that shuts down on Sunday anymore. And it's so the social contract of, hey, we need, we need to respect each other's need to rest is gone i have that app on my phone by the way that pops up every saturday and says do you have enough chick-fil-a sauce to get through the weekend (laughs) (laughs) just in case just to make sure man if you got to you know go hit the drive-thru if you need need a little extra to get through the weekend (laughs) so busyness so being addicted to entertainment that kind of thing those are things that rob us of rest what about our jobs robs us of rest what is it about the the way that we work we were talking earlier about paid time off And I was reflecting on the fact that in my job here at the church, I've been here long enough now that I get five weeks of paid vacation a year. Mm. Five weeks worth of PTO. Now, that's also sick time and everything else. But still, five weeks worth of PTO. I could not be away from my job for five weeks in good conscience. For I just can't imagine that because of the burden it would impose on my coworkers. So what is it about our jobs that robs us of the ability to walk away from them? You know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily our jobs that do it. It's our perspective about our jobs. Okay. Mm-hmm. So before before we went on air, you know, we were talking about how Americans leave 658 million hours of paid time off on the table. We don't take it. And when they did the studies asking people why, they said, well, I'm afraid I'll be replaced. I'm afraid that, you know, they're going to look for someone else to do my job. And so the whole reason, I think, why we struggle with this is because we look to our job and our work as our measure of value to this world. Like Mm -hmm. if you were to ask me, Sam, what makes you a successful human being? My answer is immediately what I do. And the gospel comes to us and flips that upside down. Jesus comes to us and says, Sam, you are not valuable because of what you do. You're valuable because you're mine. Mm -hmm. And so we, we really don't believe that all the time. And so we get caught up in trying to always prove ourselves and always prove our worth and always show everybody that we're, we're, we have meaning in our lives rather than resting on a, on a much greater meaning that Jesus has already given us. 
You know, he is the ultimate source of rest. He's the one who comes and says, this is how valuable you are. Now work, enjoy life, you know, do your very best, live with excellence and do all things for God's glory, but your ultimate meaning and value does not come from what you produce. That's liberating. That, that's, that, that is powerful. Of course, now we're talking from the perspective of working adults. We're people with careers and we're working adults. But does this actually translate down even to the younger generations? Drew, you work with student ministries here. Mm-hmm. Um, in this environment, like I would think of uh, somebody who's in middle school or high school. Well, they don't have a job. But are they lacking in rest also? And is Unbelievably it, so. Really? And is, it for, is it for different reasons? Why is it affecting the younger culture? I think, I, one, I think that we're modeling a poor ethic for them. But okay. two, um, they are so busy. I am amazed at how busy my students are. They go from school. They, so most of them wake up really early in the morning. They wake up. Some of them ride the bus. They get to school from 8 to 3. And then a lot of them, if they do sports and then they do their homework, and many of them have jobs that they do throughout the week, and then in addition, spending time with their family and then doing church activities. Like there's just, there's a lot on their plate. And I cannot tell you the number of students that I talk to a week who come to me just crippled by anxiety and just constantly talking about how much they feel like they can't get done. It is unbelievable. We literally have students come to our youth ministry with their textbooks and they will sit in the corner just because they feel like they need it there to feel like they can get something done, even though they know they're probably not going to do it while they're there. And it's just Mm. this inability to feel like there's any time to rest. It's honestly a constant theme that I see with my students is just, I have no time. I'm going from this to this. And I think, again, there's this there's this low grade anxiety that they experience from just not resting. How did that start happening? I mean, what what was it? Is it the schools? Did we did we fail our students, Sam? Is that like a you know when did when did we start doing this to our young people? There's this really wonderful TED talk that's called "Do Schools Kill Creativity," and in that talk he says that the nature of childhood changed dramatically, and it did. It used to be. Um, that some students showed talent in one area or another or another, and you, you encouraged that. You encouraged them to live to their full potential, to their talents, and, and you said, you know what? The measure of success is to take the gifts that God has given you and to live them to their fullest for His glory. Now we set in front of them this track that says, if you want to be considered successful in life, You'd better be at the top of your class. Mm -hmm. You'd better get into the greatest of colleges. You'd better Mm -hmm. come out and be a CEO. And so we've got a generation that's moving on into the world. And when they don't measure up to what we've imposed on them as the picture of success that you see all over social media and the world and everything else, they feel like utter failures. Wow. Now, when my dad went into his young adulthood, he worked at a, a Chevron service station, changing tires, cleaning bathrooms, and that was not beneath him. That was, that was a job that held dignity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't embarrassing to have that role. This generation is walking under the pressure that if you end up like that, you're a failure. Why? Well, it gets back to what we've already talked about, which is this. Your value does not come from what you do. Your mm-hmm. value comes from the fact that you're his. Hmm. And that radically changes how you enter into the world, how you deal with anxieties and all that, and it allows you to chase after the ways that God has made you as an individual. If you're not made for the academy, if you're not made to be an academic superstar, that's okay. 
God has made you unique to chase after the gifts that he's given you. Mm-hmm. Rest in that. Be confident in that. Give thanks for that. He's made us all unique. So what are the dangers, then, of not getting enough rest? We've talked about the problem. We're not getting enough rest, and there's reasons why. What happens when we don't get enough rest? What are the dangers of that? Drew, what do you think are the dangers of not getting enough rest? I think a big one that comes to my mind is just taking care of our own mental health and the fact that even just physical sleep, it has huge correlations on our mental health and how we're doing. But then even beyond that, just how our anxiety, depression, all of these things are so, I think, deeply rooted and connected with our inability to rest. And so at an extreme, when we don't take this ethic of rest seriously, it's not just oh, it's been a busy season and it'll get better, but it's these have deep lasting effects on our lives. And, mm. and going back to that rhythm, that it affects our our mental health, truly, at a, at a deeper level, I think. But obviously, the greatest danger being our soul and our relationship with Christ, if you're a believer, being entirely just um, destroyed by this busyness that we fuel. Um, but mental health being an aspect and then physical, emotional, our relationships are affected, I think. What is the C.S. Lewis line where he says, if I can't make them sin, I'll make them busy from screw tape? Is that screw tape? I don't remember if that's screw tape letters or not. Um, I remember I remember Dave Dorst, the pastor here once, saying that the devil said, if I can't get you, if I can't get them with sin, I'll get them with busyness. Yeah, that's deep. That's that was fascinating. Dave Dorsey said a lot of things that I found profound, but that was a thing. You know, he said right. that once. He preached a whole sermon against the idea of busyness, mm. and he said, "If the devil can't get you with sin, he'll get you with busyness." Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sam, you talked about the establishment of the Sabbath. What was that like back in that culture of Jesus' time? What was the Sabbath like back then? In the culture of Jesus, it was pretty. We would call it fanatical. Um, really, if you if you look through the Gospels, the places where the Pharisees get really mad at Jesus, it's when he's doing miracles or healings on a Sabbath, and they're going, you're not allowed to do that. They had the fourth commandment that said, you know, you're to keep the Sabbath holy. You work for six days, you'll rest on the seventh, keep it holy. But they they created all these other rules around that that prevented them from doing ridiculous things like laundry, which some people would say, woo cooking. <laughs> Writing, erasing, tearing, tying, untying knots, sewing, separating threads, measured cutting, smoothing out materials. These are out of the Talmud, by the way. Lighting a fire, extinguishing a fire, carrying something across property lines. All these things were prevented in Jewish culture. You could not do them in the Sabbath. And so Jesus is always in trouble with the religious leaders. They're saying, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes back with this really profound statement where he says, look, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And I am Lord of the Sabbath. And so what you find, the ethic behind the Sabbath is always restorative. Jesus is looking to restore. The man with the withered hand, he's restoring him. The man who's who's paralyzed on the mat, he's restoring them. And Jesus comes to us on the Sabbath, and he's not saying, you must obey He's saying, look, this is a gift that I've given to restore you, not just, not just for rest. Because we always think of, when we think of rest, we think of it physically. I'm tired, I need to take a nap. No, to fill you up and to feed your soul, to restore mm. you spiritually. And so Jesus overthrows 
these these Pharisees that are saying you must follow the rules, and that became a, another slavery. Like, no, the Sabbath was given to bring you out of slavery. It's hmm. fascinating, and to give you rest and freedom. And so Jesus is saying that's what this is about. Because anything we receive, we want to make it a slavery. We want to, we want to put it in a box and make it regimented, and we're bound by this. We do that with everything, even his commandment to rest. Think about that. Think about how upside down we are. <laughs> yeah, but the. The really cool thing about it, and I don't want to, I don't want to dump on the Pharisees and the Puritans and those, because there's, there's also for the well-meaning ones, there is deep wisdom in setting all these boundaries for our Sabbath, and I'll explain what I mean. If we don't go into our Sabbath seeking rest intentionally, we'll never get it. And so they came and said, so let's take my Sunday for example. If I go into my Sunday and I say, hey, you know what? Nothing's off limits. I'll never rest. I'm gonna I'm gonna entertain myself the whole day, and I'll be idle. I won't do anything, maybe. But at the end of it, I haven't really drunken deeply from the the well of God's word. I haven't replenished mm. the goodness of God in my life and soul, and and feasted on Him. And so, there's a discipline to those religious leaders and Puritans that's really wise. It's a humility that says, I know that if I don't erect boundaries, I'm going to rush right past them and busy myself again. Mm -hmm. So I need to covenant with myself that I'm not going to watch TV for an hour or two. I'm not going to turn on my phone. I'm not going to do these things. And I'm going to set aside this time with all the distractions pushed out so that I can just be with my God and let him restore me. That's what the Sabbath is about. And when you do that well, that kind of rest, oh, man, it's beautiful. Now, how has the modern Christian view of the Sabbath changed from the historical Jewish view of the Sabbath? Yeah, or the puritanical okay. view. Sure. So how has that changed over time? Oh, we, we see it as a totally optional thing. That it's, oh, it's nice, we get the day off and, and maybe. You know, some Christians don't even believe that you need to go to church, really. But the, the Sabbath comes and says, no, this is, a, this is a day that's set apart for you to be with the Lord in relationship. And so that means coming together with his people. It means feasting on the word of God. It means fellowship with other believers. It means, you know, singing hymns and praise songs and, and offering up your offering to the Lord. I mean, all of it is supposed to be this time where you're in relationship with the Lord, feasting and, and being renewed. And so now we look at it as, you know, and sometimes, you know, I'm a pastor and I do this, where it's like, up oh, it's Sunday, I got to go to church. And, and we mm-hmm. s- don't stop for a moment and think, no, 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 no. The purpose of this is to dive into this unbelievably deep, beautiful relationship with God and to feast on him and all that he's given us, all of his promises, and to be renewed by that. We see it as optional. It's, it's a checklist, and that's, that's sad. We've, we make it into a slavery. Hmm. Yeah, it's not, not seen as a gift as something that God gives to us to restore us. And I, when you were talking about to be intentional with having boundaries with rest and Sabbath, I, I was just finding myself thinking about how I don't do that. And so even in my, as you're describing rest and as we're talking about it and we're talking about Sabbath, it's so beautiful and I find myself getting all excited and hyped about it. And then I think realistically about all the ways that I I'm not I have not put those boundaries in place appropriately mm-hmm. to be able to really drink deeply from God in rest. It just becomes it can easily just become if I'm not careful with myself, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to watch Netflix, but I'm not really refilling my soul. I'm just passing the time 
and we use phrases that are meaningful maybe in our own culture our own words like drink deeply of God to feast yeah. on God um, for somebody who's listening to this that maybe isn't as uh, bilingual in English and Christianese um, what do we mean when we say feast on God yeah. or drink deeply of God yeah. those are those are euphemisms or, or metaphors what are they what are we talking about when we talk about that well, Jesus and, and the Bible repeatedly uses this idea. Like in the Psalms, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It right. uses this sense, you know, it invokes the senses. Jesus will himself say, I am the bread of life. And so what it means is take in as much of his love and as much of his attributes, as much of his goodness, of all the, the ways that he's provided, all of his promises, take them deep, deep into your body, into your soul, and be satisfied. Get your nourishment your spiritual nourishment that your soul desperately needs and is always trying to find somewhere else that can never provide it, find your nourishment and your satisfaction in Him. That's what that means. Does it come down to just taking that time to stop and nourish ourselves spiritually, or are there still some other things that we need to be doing? The great thing about this is the Sabbath is a day that's restricted just for you to, to enjoy God. It's where you rope things off, right? Where you mm-hmm. say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some time for us to be alone. You know, almost like you're, you would date your wife. I need to make time for me to be with her alone, mm-hmm. where it's just us. But the wonderful thing about Christianity is it teaches us that when we enter into a relationship with Christ, that the Spirit of God, He dwells inside of us. And so we always, always have that communion with Him. It does. It's not just on Sunday. It's not just on the Sabbath, but we have rest. Whenever we're Whenever we're wound up, whenever we're in the middle of great anxiety or whatever, we can always set it down, be with him, commune with him, and and have that relationship and, and seek to be satisfied. So it's something that we take out into our daily lives, not just, you know, when Sabbath comes or Sunday comes. So it's really a beautiful thing that's useful all the time in life. Mm-hmm. So what is the takeaway from this? What are we what are we leaving them with at the end of this? I feel like I hear two things. I feel like I hear one is when you and I kind of talked about this, Sam, but like we can't over romanticize. Like we have to understand that honoring and obeying God's call to rest on the Sabbath is hard. And so this is a discipline that we have to be intentional about and have boundaries for. And so, yes, we believe God calls us to the Sabbath. And so honoring that, but understanding that it won't probably come easily for anyone. But secondly, I see this pot from what we're talking about to me, this extends past just Sabbath. It's like Sabbath is the day God has created for this purpose, but the purpose of, of rest extends far past a day. It becomes a lifestyle by which God gives us passions and relationships to do all week long, but he wants us. I think rest is humility. It's like understanding that those things are gifts and like, to rest is is needed to be able to do what God has called us to do well, I guess. Yeah, and it takes a, a strong act of the will to accomplish rest. It's, that's not our natural setting. You know, when we think about the dangers of, of not getting rest, you know, you could go back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 4, when Cain kills his brother Abel. You know, what behind that is two guys that both bring an offering to God. One of them desperately wants his work to be justification for how wonderful he is. And the other one comes and offers by faith. And God shows favor to Abel, who comes and gives his offering by faith. 
And then he looks at Cain, who's coming and saying, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, see how hard I've worked, see how hard I've worked. And God says, well, that's not what I want from you. We get back to that idea, God wants your heart. Mm -hmm. And so the first murder, in a sense, comes because he was not settled in his relationship with God. You know, you look at the, the history of the nation of Israel. So King David, a thousand years before Jesus, expands the boundaries of Israel. Then Solomon comes along, David's son, and he's going to take the kingdom of Israel to its greatest glory and, and expansion and wealth and everything is wonderful. And then Solomon has a son whose name is Rehoboam. And the people of Israel come to him and they say, please give us rest. There's the fourth commandment right there. And Rehoboam comes back to them and says, you think you had it hard under my father. I'm going to increase the weight of your yoke. I'm going to whip you with scorpions, and I'm going to, I'm going to drive you even harder. Nice guy. Yeah, nice guy. <laughs> and what happens is it's a violation of the fourth commandment. What happens after that is the kingdom of Israel actually splits. It will never, ever be unified again. Why? Because the king refused to give them rest. And here's the beautiful thing. When you get to the New Testament, we have a much better king. We have a king who says, oh, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Here's a king who's coming to us saying, I want you to have rest, and I want you to take the yoke of a king upon yourselves. I want you to have rest for your souls it's, the world comes and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to require you to do this, and your identity is going to come from this, and I'm just going to pile it on and pile it on and pile it on. And Jesus comes and says, stop. Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden. Think how awesome that is. That's our king. Hmm. The king of the universe is coming to us saying, I want you to have rest for your soul. And it's important that we pursue that because when we don't have it, that's when you find us doing really dumb things. <laughs> Chase, really. We're chasing after our need to be approved and our need to find our identity and our need to find value. Ask Cain. That's what he did. Ask Rehoboam, who saw the kingdom fall apart underneath him, because the people couldn't find rest. They couldn't find what their hearts were longing for. Well, that's where we're at again today. We've got a nation that's crying out with mental health crisis and anxiety rates that are going through the roof, and everybody's looking for their identity and their success and all these things that we're chasing. And here's Jesus who comes to us and says, come to me. Let me give you rest. Let me fill you with purpose. Let me fill you with hope. And we keep running right past the only source that can ultimately satisfy us to go to the world that's just going to chew us up and yeah. leave us empty. Are we saying at some point that people also need to say no to things? Are we saying that, are we suggesting that people are in general overcommitted? Yeah, for sure. I would say so. I remember at a staff meeting last year, one time we were having a, a wellness lunch and uh, the, uh, the woman leading the lunch, she said to us, uh, if you have all these plates spinning and you feel like they're, if you let go of one of them, they're all just going to drop and crash that's an unhealthy that's an unhealthy lifestyle and i think at least for myself i can find myself there a lot if i'm honest and there's probably a lot of pride in that too of not realizing that that attitude is not it is not what god would have for me to say that if i let this go then it'll crash mm -hmm. uh, that's just that's a that's not true but secondly i think that there's so much freedom in 
insane no to things. When you were describing the verse in the New Testament where Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest, take my yoke, I literally found myself wanting to take a deep breath and just experiencing peace and realizing that I think our hearts long for that. Whether we're in the church, outside the church, I think in our culture, this hunger for rest, you see it everywhere. And we long for that rest. And yet I find myself fighting that rest by saying yes to so many more things. And Mm. so I think a tangible thing in my own life I've had to even kind of put a discipline into practice is saying, okay, that's a good thing, but is it the right thing? Like there's Mm. tons of good things that I can do. There's tons of good things that are worthy of our time, but is it the right thing? And then for myself, having to really pray and discern what is the load um, that God is calling me to and, 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 and what do I need to let go in order to do the things he has called me to do well and effectively so that I'm not just doing all of these things, but doing them half-heartedly. Rest is not the thing to be given up. You know, we have this mm-hmm. idea that that I can take on another activity. I can take on another job, another uh, role at work. I could pick up a, I can do another after school activity. I could do another whatever. What we're suggesting today is that God says that rest is such a major component in our relationship with Him. He wants us to rest. He knows that's in- incredibly important to us. And so we need to look at rest as no longer being optional. It's not something we can give up. So to say just as a practical thing, and maybe tell me if I'm wrong or not, but as a practical thing, I would say that you evaluate as saying, if what I have to give up in order to take on this other responsibility is rest, that's that's just as important as yeah, any activity I can get involved in. That's wrong. In. You know, mm. I, I'm going to tell on myself for being not the best husband here. But one of the things I found, I've been married for 12 years now, and one of the things that I found is in the busyness of life. Amateur. <laughs> yeah, I know. How many years are you at? Uh, we'll be 34 this year. All right, yeah. 34. So, All right, I yeah. am an amateur. Yeah. But one of the things I've already found in my selfishness of 12 years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I have found is you always take advantage of those that are most gracious. To yes, you. that's true. So so if if I have all these competing things that are vying for my time, what I tend to say is, oh, Laura, Laura will understand. And so then she ends up getting the short end of the stick. And here's what's awful about that. She is the most wonderful, beautiful, patient, you know, the one I want to spend time with. But because I'm ch- I know I have her approval. I know I have the security of her love. And so I chase after the approval of everyone else that I'm trying mm. to impress by working hard and never saying no to them. And so then I give my wife the short end of the stick. Mm. We do the same thing with God. Mm-hmm. We allow all of our competing interests to drive him out. Why? Because we know he's the most gracious. Oh, that's and we, good. We need, that's good. We need to redefine the way we think as, as not, well, I know he's the most gracious, and so I'm going to put him last. Or I know my wife is the most gracious, so I'm going to put her last to say, no, they are the most beautiful and the most worthy. They're coming first. Mm-hmm. So then as we try to wrap this idea up, and as we're talking about the big picture of rest, what's my first step? You know, where do I begin to pursue rest? I think it's good to have an honest conversation with yourself, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really helpful to have an honest conversation with somebody who will be honest back with you, who will hear your schedule and hear the rhythm of your life. That's good too. And be 
willing enough to tell you that you're unhealthy <laughs> and that you need and help you kind of evaluate what you need to put down and what does actually need to get more time. I know in my own life I have friends who are are willing to listen and to help me see things that I don't see in my busyness, in my checklist, and they can draw me back to Christ and remind me um, of where maybe I've I've forgotten to rest and sure. I've said yes too many times and I need to say no. And so I think also accountability, like having yeah, that's, people. That's really good because we're such isolationists in this country and in this world. We tend to think of it, I'm the source of the problem, so I've got to be the source of the solution. But Christianity is, is a life lived in community. community we're always talking yeah. about community. And what you're saying is the that, that step one is to have somebody that you can talk with about this. And I think you need it. And, and become accountable to it. Yeah, because I think in my if we try to do this in our own strength, I maybe have like if I had a good week, cool, but I can't sustain that pace because I know myself mm-hmm. and I know that my tendency is to run back to busyness and to resist rest and to prioritize other things above God. And so I'm going to need people in my life who will hold me accountable mm. to the rhythm and the rest that God has called me to. If I'm looking for additional resources or you know, maybe things that I should be looking to read or to, or to, you know, to look at. I think we've given people some good places to start, but but where else can they go? What what resources can they look at? Okay, so I haven't. I have to be honest. I haven't read this book yet, but okay. I was just given it to today. You looked very excited about it. Oh, I but you, somebody yeah, read three quotes to it. Somebody read us three quotes from this book, and so I am very excited. Uh, the book is called The Common Rule. It says habits of purpose for an age of distraction. And it's by Justin Early. And so this is a book I'm really looking forward to read um, because it's all about this uh, this whole idea of busyness and how we, we have this aversion to rest. And it's kind of from the way it was pitched to me, this book take, takes you deeper into what is the underlying um, habits of the heart that we need to address yeah. that are keeping us from being able to rest. And so that is one that, I don't know if I can actually fully endorse it or recommend it yet, but it sounds great. And then I know another book that I've really enjoyed is called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. I've heard I've heard about that. I've heard yeah. that that's a really good book. It was really I, helpful. I really enjoyed it. I, I'm going to say something. I haven't had time to read it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? <laughs> I'm too busy to read the book about being crazy busy. So, but those are both good choices, and we can we can put those in our show notes. In addition to having that honest conversation with a friend who's who's willing to be honest with you, is to have the conversation with with the Lord. You know, to that's come, also true. Yeah, yeah, to come to Him and say, "I put you last." Hmm. I, mm. There's there's so many times where I know hmm. that I run around and my tank is empty and I feel spiritually dry and I wonder why, and you know, I com- I complain about it, but I never stop to just truly be with you. And please help me to do that and to get serious about it because you know it, when when my family and it's it's only been a few weeks since we've been on this topic of rest where we've gotten really intentional um but it's starting to become really really sweet and wonderful time but it's so easy to go oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Man, that means I've got to manage my my kids are going to be jumping and climbing the walls and you know it really is kind of uncomfortable to just Stop, yeah, and be quiet. But the rewards are, yeah, amazing. They really are. Yeah. They really are. Very good. Well, folks, if we've talked about anything that you think uh, you'd like to ask a question about, you can always send us an email. 
Um, if you want to send us an email, you can send an email to outofwater at uh, riovistachurch.com. Uh, you can also come and check out our webpage at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater, where you can find uh, episodes of the podcast as well as show notes where we'll have names of things like these books that we recommended. And uh, we hope that you've uh, profited from this and that you found listening to it to be restful. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.